Dear God, thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity to just be here before you. I pray that you would teach us more about your grace and what it really means to embrace the grace that it is that you have given us. We all walk in here with a different story, and I pray that, God, as we come here today before you, that you would help us to remove, remove any distractions and help us to take this time to directly focus on you and what it is you have to say for us. I pray that you would change our lives and that you would speak into our hearts. I pray that I wouldn't get in your way and that you would speak through me. Thank you so much for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, with that, before I go any further, I want to welcome our online campus. I'm so happy that you guys can join us as well. The title of this message is Same You, More Grace. Having more of God's grace. When we embrace the grace that he has given us and we dwell on his grace, this is where we're able to experience the truest life change. Because we get so fixated on the issues that we have, the problems that we have in our life. But when we focus on God's grace instead of focusing on us, it really changes things. However, when life hurts, it's really hard to do that. You know, when you're walking through unfortunate circumstances, and I don't know what it is that you walk in here today with, whatever life looks like for you. But when you walk through unfortunate circumstances, it's really easy to focus on those circumstances. When you have many obstacles in front of you and challenges, it's so easy to just focus on that instead of focusing on God. And it's because it's our natural instinct. It is not natural for us to look to God when going through hardship, when going through trial. It's natural for us to focus on the darkness that it is that we're living in. So we'll look for an answer, and we think we're the answer. And as I've been saying, if we can embrace God's grace, that's where change happens. To make this make more sense, I think a good starting point for us is that if we really understood what this word grace means and break it down, I feel like the word grace is one of those churchy words that we kind of throw around. And like the word grace is a really heavy word and it holds a lot of weight to it, but I think we kind of take away from it. So to start, I think it'd be great to start off with the definition of what is God's grace. And when I look for a definition of grace, we use the word grace in so many different ways. We use it at the dinner table. You know, who's gonna say grace? A question, what does that even mean? Like, have you ever thought, like, what, why, why do we call it grace? It's because we're offering thanksgiving to God because the food that he's provided us with is his grace that he's shown to us. I've also seen uh, in scripture that the word grace is used as a greeting. You know, grace to you, grace and peace to you. Uh, the word grace is um, a definition I found is the elegance and movement. So typically when you call somebody graceful, but when you typically call somebody graceful, I think we more often use it sarcastically because they're not graceful. Like the kind of person that walks into something in the middle of the aisle at a grocery store, and you're like, <laughs> graceful? Not super graceful. But there's another definition I found. Oh, and to add, it's also the name of this church, so it might be helpful to know what it means. 
Um, we have this, uh, at my college, I go to Clark Summit University, we have this uh, Bible software on our computers that we get, and it gives us so many different kinds of resources that we can have to study. And on this software, I looked at the definition of grace, and the definition that it gave me was goodwill freely disseminated by God, especially to the benefit of the recipient, regardless of the benefit accrued to the disseminator. Now, I have no doubts that everyone understands exactly what I just said. I feel like I spoke in a different language. And I don't even understand what that means, if I'll be honest. But to give another definition, to break that down, is God's unmerited favor to the unworthy. What God has given to us, God's unmerited favor, meaning you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, and you're unworthy of it. His unmerited favor to the unworthy, us. To make it even simpler, God giving us what we don't deserve. That is what God's grace is. So when we look at that definition, I think there's a couple things that kind of stick out to us, questions that we have. And the first observation we can make is, if grace is us getting what we don't deserve, what is it that we don't deserve? This list can go on for a while of the things that God has given us, the things that God has blessed us with that we really don't deserve. But I think there's three really big ones. I think one is God's forgiveness. We don't deserve God's forgiveness, but he's willing to forgive us. Another one is God's love. We don't deserve God's love. God's unfailing love, a love that our human minds, we can't even comprehend. We can't even understand this kind of love. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve God offering us Jesus. Jesus came for us and died for us on the cross. He gave himself up for us. We did not deserve that. The second question, though, about this definition, getting what we don't deserve, we understand now what it is we don't deserve, but the bigger question is why don't we deserve those things? Why don't we deserve God's forgiveness, his love, and why don't we deserve Jesus? It's because of a fun little word called sin. You know, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short to the glory of God. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us has missed the mark. No one here can say that we're perfect, because we're not. We have all missed the mark. We're all sinners. Therefore, because of our sin, sin separates us from God. So our sin has separated us from a holy God, and therefore we deserve eternity away from God because of our sin. We deserve punishment. But, this is where the beautiful picture comes in, because of his grace for us, God offered us Jesus, and that's where Jesus comes in. He offered us Jesus, and Jesus came down to this world to us. He lived a perfect life in which we can never do, and then he went up to the cross, and he got punished, but that was our punishment. Jesus took our punishment for our sin, and then he died for us, but he rose again three days later, and now he is alive. And as it says in Romans 10, verse 9, anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God rose him from the grave, you will be saved. It's it's great. It's beautiful. Like It's something that we can dwell on, that we were sinners, that we were dead in our transgressions, that we were not alive, 
that we were apart from God, that we were living in sin. But as it says in Ephesians 2 and verse 4, it says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By his grace, God offered us salvation. God offered us a way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. God offered us a way, and it was through Jesus. And we see that this is the grace that he has offered us. Romans 5 says, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is what grace is. And that's what God's grace looks like. That's the grace I'm talking about when I say we need to embrace God's grace in our life. And that when you dwell on that and you dwell on the salvation that God has offered you, you get to experience true life change. As I said in the beginning though, when life hurts, and I know you guys would agree with me, there are sometimes life hurts. I don't know what it is that you, the obstacles you may be facing or what that looks like for you, but it's really easy to, to just focus on those circumstances instead of focusing on God's grace. We instead will focus on us. What is it that I can do to get out of this? So what does it even look like to embrace God's grace when life hurts? I think there's a really good example in scripture of this, of what this looks like that I think we can relate to. And it's by a man named Paul. And I think before, the main passage we're gonna be in is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But before that, I wanna go to 1 Corinthians to give a little bit of context as to who Paul is. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse nine, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul, who was also known as Saul, he just said, I don't deserve to be called an apostle. I persecuted the church. He was on a mission against Christianity. He murdered and he killed Christians. And this is what he was known for. Everyone knew his name. And Christians were scared of him because they knew what he was up to. He was on a mission against Christianity. But then Jesus showed up in his life. Jesus pre presented himself before him. And Paul says this. He says that he persecuted the church. He doesn't deserve to be called an apostle. But in verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. We see now Paul's mission completely changed because God showed him grace. And Paul knew grace and he understood it. He knew that he did not deserve for Jesus to show up in his life for everything that he has done, but Jesus showed up and changed his life that Paul went from a person who was killing Christians to letting God use him to make more. That we know Paul who is going out and preaching to the Gentiles throughout the whole New Testament and that he wrote 13 books in the New Testament. We see how, how much Paul was used and how God's grace completely changed his life. Paul understood grace because he knew he did not deserve it. And there's another instance where 
Paul's also going to get a really good picture of what grace looks like in this Second Corinthians passage. And it's in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Um, in the first six verses in this passage, Paul just gets done talking about a vision that he had of heaven. And he sees this vision of heaven, how magnificent it is, and how he can't even explain it. And that this isn't just an ordinary thing that anybody else got to experience, that this was crazy, this was life-changing for him, that he had this vision of heaven. But in these verses, he talks about how he's choosing not to boast about it because he doesn't want people to look at him differently. He doesn't want people to look at him more highly than compared to if he didn't talk about it. So then, 2 Corinthians 12, at verse 7, he says this then, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Paul says to keep him conceited, to keep him humble, he was given a thorn in his flesh. Now, there have been many biblical scholars that have studied this and tried to figure out what is Paul talking about? What's he referring to? Whether, was, is this an actual thorn? Was this maybe a physical illness or impairment that he had? Was it a mental battle or something like that? What, what was this that was hurting Paul so much? And a lot of commentaries like, all come to the same conclusion. It's that we don't know. We don't know what this thorn was, but there is two observations we can make about this thorn. First one is that God was very purposeful in not specifically telling us what it was because then it opens the door and it's a gateway so much better for us to be able to relate to Paul and what he was going through. And then the second observation is that this thorn, it hurt. This thorn was painful. We see that Paul is talking about it in a way. He says that Satan is using this against him to torment him. That whatever Paul was going through, it hurt. Paul understood real pain. And I know for a lot of you, you also probably understand real pain. I don't know what that looks like for you or what you've gone through. But maybe that thorn for you is some physical impairment or illness or a mental battle or struggle or hurt, broken relationships, constant family drama or issues, maybe abuse or trauma that you've experienced in your past that you can't let go or forget, unfortunate circumstances that are out of your control or just your weaknesses. We all know in some way, shape, or form what real pain feels like. And Paul did too. And it's hard to not focus on that pain. Paul really understood what this meant because we even see him saying in the next verse, in verse eight, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Paul was begging God and pleading God, please take this thorn out of my life. And maybe you've done the same thing too, where you feel like you're constantly going to God, that you're constantly crying out to him, that you're constantly praying, God, please take this away from me. God, can't you please just provide me with healing? God, can you please help me in this moment? Can't you just meet me where I'm at? Can't you just rip this out of my life? 
Paul was crying out to Paul. Paul was crying out to God, just frustrated of how much this thorn was affecting him. But we see God responded to him, though. But it might not be the response he was looking for. God said in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God told Paul, my grace is enough for you. My grace is going to help you cope. My grace is going to strengthen you and get you to the point of contentment to get through it. Paul asked God to remove the thorn. God responded, my grace is sufficient. That's not the question Paul asked. God asked for this to be removed out of his life. And we do that a lot. God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. And I feel like in the same way, God answers us very similarly. Now, I'm not going to say whatever that thorn may be for you, whether if it's permanent or temporary, whatever that struggle is, I'm not going to say whether or not God will take it away. Maybe he will, but most often it doesn't happen that way. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. We understand how much that hurts. But what's really easy to see is what Paul's response to this was, how he responded to God. In the rest of verse 9 and verse 10, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We see his perspective completely flipped. We just went from Paul begging and pleading with God, can you please remove this out of my life, to now God responding, and he said, you know what, I'm going to boast and I'm going to rejoice about my weaknesses. That doesn't make any sense on how he would respond that way. But it's because God told him, my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul understood that God was up to something greater. And that's that we often, we don't see what God sees. That whatever that thorn is for you, whatever those circumstances are for you, that God is actually using that to better you. And God is using that to bring you into a better place. We see that in the book of Job, where Satan had his way with him. And he destroyed his life and he took so much away from him. But we're reminded throughout that book that God was in control the entire time. And we see Job at the end of the book, how much more he has. He's in a far better place. And how much God used his entire story and everything that happened to him to better him and to teach him so much more. And God's doing the same thing with us. And his response to us is, I just need you to focus on me. I just need you to focus on the grace that I've offered you. Because when you do this, you're going to understand that those dark places that we're in, in those weaknesses, in our hardships, those are opportunities for God's power to shine the most. My question is, will you let him? Will you let God's power shine through your weaknesses? Will you embrace them and let God work? 
Paul's entire perspective changed and the transition was God's grace where he remembered, he was reminded to dwell on the grace that God has offered him and has shown him. That's something that we need to also do. Embrace the grace that God has shown you and dwell on that because when we do that, even in the hard times, that's when we're able to experience the truest life change. I know this was something that hit me hard. It was something that I needed. Throughout this, uh, this last semester that I had, I'm a junior at Clark Summit University. I will say that it was the hardest semester by far. Had nothing to do with classes, had nothing to do with course load or schoolwork, had nothing to do with professors or anything like that. Had everything to do with the mental battle. That I'm obviously, I'm not gonna go into the specifics of it, but just walking through a whole semester, constantly battling with anxiety, constantly walking in depression. Stuff I've, I've never fought before in my life, and it hit me hard. So many nights just bawling my eyes out, crying, feeling hopeless, worthless, useless. I have nowhere to go. I don't know what to do. Feeling like I've, I have hit rock bottom. And the worst of it, feeling like I have failed so many people around me. I failed God. I feel so far from God. I feel so disconnected from him. Getting so in my head and getting so hard on myself. Thinking I need to change looking to myself for answers. What do, I need to, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? Who do I need to go to? Seeking myself for change, where I got to a point at the end of the semester, I was in the beginning of December, where it's in such a bad place, I broke down, there was a pond uh, near our school, and I was just sitting on a bench in front of it, just bawling, crying out to God, praying to God. I was like, God, can you please take this season away from me? God, I don't know what to do. I feel like I've been living this whole semester away from you, that I've been avoiding you, that I've been living my own life, living away from you. I don't deserve for you to show up right now. I don't deserve your love. I, I didn't do anything. I'm just so broken down. I feel like it was in that moment, God spoke right to me. I was like, you're right, but I still love you. And of course it broke me down even more. <laughs> thinking about that and just it's what I needed there was reminding I was like no I don't deserve God's love yeah I have walked away from him yeah I walked through this whole semester stiff farming him the entire time seeking myself seeking what I needed when in reality God reminded me of his the grace that he's shown me and no I'm not going to say I stand up here perfectly healed from it but I do stand up here with a perspective change and I stand up here Understanding the grace, being reminded of the grace that God has for me. Understanding that I need a lot less of me. I just need a lot more of God and I need to embrace him. When we embrace God's grace, that's how you experience life change in your life. Whatever it is you struggle with. Now I know it's also hard to understand when I throw around the phrase, embrace God's grace, it's really easy to say, kind of fun to say because it rhymes but it's hard to understand like what does that practically look like 
Like, what does it actually look like? What do you mean to embrace God's grace? So to close this, if, uh, just three simple things I think we could do just every day that I think we can just constantly practice, constantly be reminded of, that we could constantly keep putting into our life that's going to help us embrace the grace that God has shown us. And the first thing is that have the right perspective of God. Having the right perspective of God is saying God is bigger than blank. Fill in the blank of whatever it is you're going through. And I could promise you, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is you put in that blank, that statement will always remain true. God is bigger than whatever it is you are facing. Whatever it is that is in your life, whatever it is that that battle is, that Satan may be using against you. God is in control. God can use it. God is bigger. Have the right perspective of him and understand his love for you. Second thing is be vulnerable with him. Constantly go to him in prayer. But when you go, don't hide anything. I'll just let you know now, God already knows your, your life. He knows you a lot better than you do. You think you got issues? Trust God knows. <laughs> But I say that to say, don't hide your heart away from him. We saw Paul's heart and how much he was going through. So he begged God, God, can you get this out of my life? It's frustrating me. Remove it from me. Paul was honest. The same thing. Be honest with God. Pour your heart out to him. He's your heavenly father who loves you. Why would he want you to hide your feelings from him? He understands you. And I think oftentimes we don't really get that picture. God understands you. He created you. And he wants to know you personally. Be vulnerable with him and pour your heart out to him. And then the third thing, I think, that'll help us to embrace God's grace is spend time with God and embrace God in your life. If you want to see God in your life, if you want to hear God in your life, if you want to see him moving, spend time with him. Keep reading his word. Keep praying to him daily. Keep pursuing him. Whatever it is that you can connect with God. I love journaling. I journal a lot. I feel like it's just a way I can connect with him. Love listening to music. Whatever that looks like for you. Connect with God. Do it daily. Do it constantly. Because when you do this, you're able to see him. You'll hear him. That may not make sense, but it will make sense once you do it. That'll change your life. So have the right perspective of him. Be vulnerable with him and spend time with him. When you do these things, you'll be able to embrace the grace that God has given you. Because when you embrace his grace, you experience true life change. As I said earlier, in Romans 5, 8, even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we can always rejoice in that. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your grace. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we could ever do to earn it. Thank you for loving us and sending your son down here to us. And I pray that you would help us to just dwell on the grace that you've offered us, to constantly be reminded of it, to constantly focus on it, even when life really hurts. And God, you know every single person in this room. You know every single thing that we have gone through. 
You created us, you know us, you know our stories. You're the author of our stories, and I pray that, God, you would help us to not focus on our circumstances, as hard as it is, but to just focus on you and how it is that you're using our weaknesses, that you're using our thorns to better us. Help us to focus on your grace. We thank you so much for offering it to us. We thank you so much for your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.